The Son of the Strong Man of the Wood Written by Elizabeth W. Grierson and read by David White There once was a man who lived in a tiny hut on the borders of a mighty forest. The neighbours wondered that he chose to live there, for the forest was full of all manner of wild animals, some of them timid and gentle enough, but some of them fierce and cruel. People called him the Strong Man of the Wood, and the name was well chosen. He was so tall and cheerful and brave. He was married and had a sweet young wife, whom he loved dearly, and every night when he returned from hunting, he used to look about for any withered branches which had blown off the trees in the winter storm, and he would drag them to the door of the hut and cut them up for firewood, so that she would have no trouble when the fire came to be lit in the morning. In this way, time passed happily on, until at last a terrible thing happened. There was a great oak tree growing a little way from the hut, and as no wood burns so brightly as oak wood, the good-hearted man made up his mind that he would prepare a little surprise for his wife by cutting down the massive tree and carrying home a nice stock of firewood. But, sad to relate, as he was bending over the root, plying his axe with all his might, the mighty tree bent over and crashed down on him, almost crushing him beneath its weight. He managed to scramble out from under it. However, with a great effort, he raised it on his shoulder and staggered home with weak and tottering steps. His strength was quite exhausted here. He reached the door. And when at last he threw down his burden, he fell beside it with a cry of pain. At the unwanted sound, his wife hurried out and, greatly alarmed, helped him to rise and to walk into the house. I have received my death blow, he murmured, as he sank down on the bed. As the tree crashed over, something within me broke and I feel my life ebbing away fast. His poor wife tried to cheer him with hopeful words, but... He only shook his head and sighed to her to be quiet. See, he said, opening his right hand and showing her a little acorn lying in his palm. Here is an acorn from the tree that killed me. I want thee to promise that, as soon as I am dead, thou wilt plant it on top of the dung heap which stands close to the byre door. There it will germinate and grow and by the time its tiny leaves have pierced through the rubbish that covers it, thou wilt have a little son to cheer thee. He will not be like other children, who learn in a few years to run about and take care of themselves, for thou must care for him and nurse him until he is strong enough to pull up by its roots the tree into which this acorn will grow. Having said this, the strong man of the woods turned his face to the wall and died leaving his poor young widow full of sorrow at her loss, and of wonder at the strange words which he had spoken to her. But true to her promise, she planted the acorn, and it all came to pass as her husband had foretold. By the time the two tiny brown oak leaves were peeping up under the dung heap, a little son had been born to her, and, remembering his father's words, she nursed him on her knee until he was seven years old. She carried him out, and setting him down on the dung heap, she told him to try and pull up the tender sapling which was growing there. 
The little fellow did make as he bid, and tugged and tugged, but he could not uproot the tree. Thou art not strong enough yet, my son, said his mother, and she picked him up again and carried him back to the house. Another seven years passed and the child had grown into a sturdy boy, bigger by far than most lads of his age, while the tiny sapling had almost grown into a small tree. I will try his strength once more, said his mother. So she bade her son run out and try to pull up the young oak tree by its roots. Alas, alas, to her great disappointment he failed again. He was strong, but the tree was stronger. So for another seven weary years she nursed him, and then he tried again. And this time he succeeded, for he pulled the oak tree up by its roots and threw it down with a shout of triumph at his mother's feet. "'Twill make good firewood for thee, mother,' he said. "'That it will,' said his mother. "'And the first use I will put it through is to kindle a fire "'and bake a pocket full of bannocks for thee, "'for it is high time that thou should seek out thy fortune. "'I have cared for thee for one and twenty years. "'Thou must care for thyself now.' "'So the son of the straw man of the woods "'put his mother's bannocks in his pocket,' and set out to seek his fortune. At first he walked for many miles without seeing any place where it seemed likely that he could find work, but at last he came in sight of a large farmstead, where there was a stackyard filled with more stacks than he had ever seen in his life before. If all these stacks are to be threshed, there ought to be work enough to spare here, he said to himself, and he went straight up to the door of the farmhouse and knocked. A waiting maid came to the door, and she started back in amazement at the sight of the stranger. For the son of the strong man of the woods was such a big lad that in comparison with all other folk she had ever seen in her life, he was quite a giant. What may you want? she asked timidly, keeping well back to the door. To speak with thy master, if he be within, said Ranald for that was the big lad's name. Promptly the servant maid turned and ran to the sitting room where her master was having his afternoon nap. Master, master, wake up, she cried, for the biggest lad that I've ever saw is at the door and he's asking for thee. The master rose and went out and he too was astonished at the stranger's size. What dost thou want? he said, eyeing him from head to foot. I want work, said Ranald cheerfully. I'm young and strong, and the man who hires me will have no cause to rue it. By my troth, thou art strong enough, said the farmer slowly. It chanced that he needed help, and this lad seemed to have come just in the nick of time. Canst thresh? That can I, answered Ranald lifting one of his brawny arms and swinging it round his head as if it were a flail. Well, I will try thee, said the farmer, after a pause. And I hope that what thou sayest will turn out to be true, and that I will have no cause to rue my choice. So the bargain was made, and without more ado, Ranald asked what he should begin to work on. Oh, not till tomorrow morning, answered the farmer. 
astonished at his zeal, for as a rule his servants were not in such a hurry to begin their work. There is as much corn awaiting there to be threshed as will keep two men busy for six weeks, and after that there are all the stacks in the stack yard too. Now at that time farm servants used to commence their work in the morning when the stars disappeared and finish at night when they were once more began to twinkle in the sky. So before it grew dark, Ranald went and peeped into the barn, where the men were still at work. He burst out laughing when he saw the flails that they were using. They seemed to him only fit for pygmies to use. These flails are useless, he said contemptuously. When thou comest here in the morning, thou wilt see the flail that I work with. Then he put his hands in his pockets and strolled off to a wood which he saw up on the hillside, and when he got there he cut down a young tree and shaped it into the handle of a flail. Then he walked down the hill again with it upon his shoulder. When the men saw it they looked at one another, whispering, What sort of lad is this? For he hath made the mast of his flail as tall as the mast of a ship. Next day Ranald rose betimes. Here the morning star had quitted the sky and set to work in the barn. He threshed and threshed with right good will, and his arm was so strong, and his flail so heavy, that before breakfast time he had threshed out all the corn that was stored there. Then he went out to the stack yard, and seizing a stack under each arm, he carried them boldly down into the barn and threshed them. Then he went back for another two. And so the work went on until at dinner time the barn was full of golden grain and the courtyard outside almost buried in straw. When all was finished he threw down his flail and walked towards the farmhouse, wondering that the farmer had never come out to see how he was getting on. Halfway across the courtyard, however, he came upon him, standing still and gazing in bewilderment at the empty stackyard and the great piles of straw which were heaped up in every direction. What shall I do next? asked Ranald, going up to him and tapping him on the shoulder. The master looked up at him dully, as if he had just been wakened out of a dream. Do? he said slowly, for he was feeling half afraid of this new man of his, who could do the work of ten men and appear to be quite fresh when he was finished. Thou hadst better go into the barn and thresh the corn that thou hast found there. I have threshed that too, answered Ranald, with a twinkle in his eye. And now I want to know what thou wouldst have me do next. The farmer did not know what to answer. He was feeling more afraid than ever of his strange servant of his. So he told him to go and get his dinner while he went to the barn and see if what he said was true. And when he saw that it was all true, his heart sank within him. And when his eyes fell on the enormous flail lying in the corner, he was overcome by terror and fairly turned and fled. Whoever he is, or wherever he comes from, he is not canny, he muttered to himself. And he took the back road to the house rather than the front one, for fear he would meet the newcomer. For he wanted to have some time to think how he would get rid of him. Meanwhile, Ranald had finished his dinner. And now he was standing at the front door, and when he saw the farmer, he went across and met him. And what can I do now? he asked once more. Oh, anything thou hast mind to, stammered the farmer. Thou hast been busy all this forenoon, I 
Trow their best. Rest in the afternoon. Very good, said the big lad calmly. But ere I go to rest, I would fain have a word with thee. Thou hast seen now how much work I can do, and the way in which I do it. But in orders to work like that, a man of my sides needs food, and therefore I must in future have more dinner. And how much more must thou have? asked his master anxiously. Half a childer of meal and bros, one day, and half a childer of meal and bannocks, with the carcass of a two-year-old stot, another, said Ranald quietly. Then he walked on, while the farmer ran open-mouthed into the kitchen and began to tell his tale to his old servants, who were assembled there. Half a childer of meal and bros, one day, and half a childer of meal and bannocks, with the carcass of a two-year-old stot, another, they repeated in horror when he had finished his story. Master, the place will be ruined if thou canst not find some way to get rid of him, for in good sooth he be not human if he can eat all that. Get rid of him? That would I gladly, said the farmer. But how? If any man can tell me that, I'll give him an extra month's wages. But the servants only looked at one another and shook their heads. But at last one of them spoke. Send for Big Angus of the rocks, he said. If he cannot tell us of a way, no one else can. So they sent for Big Angus of the rocks, who was the oldest and wisest man in all the countryside. And when he was come, they told him the whole story, about the stacks and the flail, and what concerned them more than anything else, the enormous dinner which Ranald demanded. The old man listened, shaking his head in dismay. Alas, hath he come at last, he said. When I was a little boy, and my grandfather was an old man, about as old as I am now, I heard him foretell how some day this place would be ruined by a big giant, and I fear me this stranger must be he. But how can we get rid of him? asked the farmer for he had no wish to let his farm be ruined if he could help it. There is but one plan which I can think of, answered the old man. Set him to open the well in the middle of the field yonder, and order him to dig on and on until he comes to water. He'll have to dig deep to reach that, I trow, for I know that the well hath a sandy bottom. And when he hath gone pretty far down in the earth, let all thy man who can handle a shovel be gathered together on the bank, and let them shovel the loose stones and earth which he hath thrown up down on him as fast as they can, so you'll be smothered and crushed to death. But, harky, do it when he is stooping, and if you stand up, let every man run lest he spring out of the hole and try to kill them. That night the farmer sent for Ranald, and told him that the water was getting scarce, that he thought there must be something wrong with the spring and that, at there was a well in the middle of the ten-acre field, he would like him to open it, so the water could be drawn there. Thou must dig deep, he added, for there is a sandy bottom, and the water is hard to come by. All right, said Ranald cheerfully. I'll start working it in the morning. Next morning, the farmer and his men were astir early, but Ranald was up before them, 
already at work. The farmer's men, armed with their spades and shovels, crept up to the hole. Ronald was stooping down to lift a spadeful of earth. Quick, lads, we have him, shouted the farmer, and one and all set to work to shovel the earth back into the well as hard as they could. But what was their amazement when, just as they thought they had covered him, he stood up and shook himself as easily as he'd been shaking a few flakes of snow from his coat. West, he said, turning one up ear up to the sky as if he were listening for something. Then, everyone remembering the words of Big Angus of the rocks, they turned and ran for their lives, in case he should jump out the hole and kill them. Meanwhile, Ranald went calmly on with his work until he was finished. Then he laid his spade aside and went home for his dinner. To his astonishment, he found that the door of the farmhouse was locked and bolted. He knocked softly, then he knocked loudly, and at last, as nobody came to open it, he put his shoulder against it and burst it open. He looked all around for the farmer, and to his amazement, he discovered him hiding under the table, shaking with terror. When he saw that Ranald had no intention of harming him, however, he came out slowly and stood up. Hast thou finished thy work? he asked. Aye, said Ranald, but I was pretty sore pestered by crows while I was at it for they scratched and scratched in the heap of earth I had thrown up till they set down dust like a blind me. What shall I do now? he went on, looking at his master in the most simple way possible. Oh, go and get thy dinner, answered the farmer in despair, and with a smile, Ranald did as he was bid. Meanwhile, his master hurried off to Big Angus and told him the whole story. The old man shook his head, "'Tis plain we must try another plan,' he said, "'seeing that the first hath failed. "'But what plan can we try now?' asked the farmer. "'Send him to plough the crooked ridge of the field of the dark lake,' replied Angus. "'Out of that came never man or beast alive who ploughed there till going down of the sun.' "'So his master sent for Ranald once more, and told him to go and plough the crooked ridge of the field of the dark lane. Very well, said the big lad. I'll begin at the star setting tomorrow. So in the morning, out he went with his plough upon his shoulder, leading a pair of horses behind him. When he reached the field of the dark lake, he laid down his plough and looked round him. It was a great bare field, with a high ridge running through it, and one solitary tree growing in the middle of the ridge, the dark lake lying to the side of it. He ploughed all day and everything went well until just as the sun was going down he heard a great splash and looking towards the lake he saw a dark shapeless object in the water. It's a monster of some sort he said to himself and that is why my fine master sent me here. Doubtless he hoped it would eat me alive but if he wants me, it must come for me. And without troubling himself further, he went on with his ploughing. Meanwhile, the sun went down, and just as its last rays disappeared beneath the horizon, the huge, shapeless monster came on shore and crawled at the bank to the edge of the crooked ridge. Then it began to crawl slowly along the furrow from one end, while Ranald and his horses came to meet it from the other. 
They met just under the solitary tree. Stand back, he shouted, or thou wilt see what will happen. The fierce beast paid no heed to his words, but opened its great jaws and swallowed one horse alive. That's enough, said Ranald in rage. I will make thee give that horse back. And letting go of the plough, he tied the great beast's tail to the tree. Of course it struggled, and it struggled, it pulled down the tree by the roots. Oh, ho, said Ranald, just what I wanted. He picked up the tree and beat the monster with it, until the trunk broke into splinters. Give back that horse, he cried, but the beast paid no heed. If thou wilt not give it back, then shalt thou do its work, he said grimly, and he seized hold of it and yoked it to the plough. After he was doing this, however, the remaining horse became so terrified at its strange companion that it broke its traces and galloped home. The farmer and his men rejoiced greatly when they saw it coming. Without doubt, that big lad is dead at last, they cried. The monster from the darkly hath swallowed him. But their joy was short-lived, for at that moment, one of them chanced to look out of the window. And who should they see but Ranald coming quietly homewards, while beside him crawled the loathsome beast dragging the plough. This was worse and worse. With a wild shriek, everyone ran to hide himself as best as he might, and when Ranald reached the farm, he found naught save an empty house in silence. He left the beast at the door and strode into the kitchen. Where art thou? he cried. There was no answer for a long time, and then at last the farmer came creeping down the stairs from the attic, where he had hidden himself, and asked him in a trembling voice what he wanted. I want to know what I have to do tomorrow, said Ranald. Plough, said the farmer, keeping tight hold on the door that led him to the attic stairs. The ploughing's all finished, said the big lad. That cannot be, answered his master. There is as much land to plough in the field as would take two men busy for six weeks. But I tell thee it is, said Ranald. If thou goest out to look, thou wilt not see a single furrow unploughed. And did nothing trouble thee when thou wert at the job? answered the farmer faintly. Oh, nothing but a nasty thing of an ugly beast that came out of the lake and ate one of the horses said Ranald carelessly. I tried to make him give back the horse, but it did not seem to want to, so I did not waste time arguing with it, but I yoked it to the plough and made it pull it home. This was more than the farmer had bargained for. He crept forward and took hold of Ranald's coat. And where is it now? he whispered. Outside the door, answered Ranald. The farmer nearly fell down with terror. What didst thou bring him here for? he moaned. Send him away, oh, send him away. I just brought him hither to let thee see what manner of beast he is, laughed Ranald. Now I'll cut off his head and put him in the great hole beside the dung heap. Then will we be able to plough the crooked ridge in peace hereafter. He went away to kill the monster, leaving the farmer wringing his hands in despair. Whatever shall we do, he said to himself. With a woe-begone face, he betook himself to the house of Big Angus and told him how the lad had slain the monster 
instead of the monster swallowing the big lad as they had hoped and expected. Old Angus could hardly believe his ears. There is but one thing more we can do, he said, and I cannot but think that it will succeed. Pretend that all the meal is finished, and say to him that we can have nothing to eat until he takes a bag of corn to the mill of Lechen, and has it ground there. Tell him he must work all night if need be, for there is no meal about the place, and I warrant that if once he sets his head inside the mill of Lechen after sunset, the big brownie of the mill will see it that he never leaves it again alive. But, harky, added the old man solemnly, be on the watch, and if by a chance he do escape, for as thou sayest, he seemeth to be more than mortal, take to your heels and run, men and women and bairns. Once more the farmer sought Ranald. The meal hath run down, he said. Take the horses, therefore, and the sled, and big bag of corn, and haste thee to the mill of Lekin. I fear me thou must grind all night, so as to be back with the meal in the morning, for there is not so much left in the barrel as we could bake one single bannock. Very well, said Ranald, and he went off at once to yoke the sled. He arrived at the mill of Lekin in the gloaming, and as luck would have it, the miller had locked up the mill, turning his horse out to pasture and gone to bed. Ranald went to the door of his cottage and knocked loudly. "'Who's there?' shouted the miller. "'Tis I, Ranald, son of the strong man of the wood,' was the reply. "'And what mayst thou want?' asked the miller. "'I want thee to get up and drive the mill, for I've brought with me a great bag of oats, which must be ground here tomorrow morning.' For no man on earth will I enter the mill at this time of night, said the miller. But I tell thee thou must, repeated Ranald, for the folk where I come from be fasting till I take home the meal. Fasting or no fasting, it makes no difference. I stir not from my home till the sun be up, growled the miller. If thou wilt not get up thyself to grind the corn, said Ranald cheerfully, waste no more time, but give me the key. Now the miller wanted to go to sleep. So he gave Ranald the key to the mill and bade him be gone, adding that if any misfortune befell him, as it was sure to do, it was his own fault. Ranald took the key and opened the mill, then he carried in the bag of corn and made a fire of reeds and peat. He spread it out of the kiln to harden, then he put it into the hopper and set the miller going, and in no very long time some of the corns were ground into meal. When this was done, he began to feel hungry, which was little wonder, for the farmer had sent him away in such a hurry they had no time to take his supper. So he made some of the meal into bannocks and set them down on the hot kiln to bake. In a little while, when they were very nice and crisp and almost ready for eating, he heard a strange rustle in the dark corner, and looking round he saw a great hairy figure rising up amongst the shadows and stretching out a huge paw to seize one of the bannocks. "'Tis nothing but a brownie, after all,' he said to himself. Then he turned and faced his uncanny companion fearlessly. "'Keep back,' he said sharply. But the brownie paid no heed. It only stretched out its great paw further, and seized one of the bannocks. "'Don't do that again,' said Ranald angrily. The brownie paid no attention, but helped himself to another bannock. 
If thou touchest another one, dearly shalt thou rue it, Ranald cried in rage. But the only answer the creature made was to seize the third and last panic. Put them back, shouted Ranald, almost beside himself with anger, and taking one leap he seized hold of the brownie. Then began a great and fearful struggle. At the first turn the roof of the mill crashed in. At the second the kiln fell on the floor, a heap of ruins. Outside in his cottage the miller heard the noise, and wrapping his head in the blankets crept to the foot of the bed, while his wife, with one wild scream, jumped out of the bed altogether and hid underneath it. Meanwhile, Ranald had won the battle, and the brownie was meekly asking to be allowed to go away. Not until thou hast rebuilt the mill and the kiln and put my bannocks back where thou foust them, answered Ranald sternly. Let go thy hand and I'll do it, said the brownie. Nay, but thou wilt do it ere I'll let thee go, answered his captor. How am I to know thou wilt not run away? So, with Ranald's hand firmly grasping the back of his neck, the brownie set to work to put the roof on the mill and build up the kiln. At last all was finished. The mill and the kiln were just as they'd been when Ranald arrived. Now let me go, groaned the brownie. Not until thou hast found the bannocks and put them back on the kiln, said Ranald. Dost think that I am going to be done out of my supper by thee? And he tightened the grip on the brownie's neck. So the creature had to put his great paw up the chimney and bring down the bannocks from where he had hidden them and put them back in the kiln. Now thou can go and see that thou never come back said Ranald, and opening the door he threw the brownie right out into the darkness. With three terrible shrieks the uncanny creature vanished, and so far as I've heard he'd never been seen from that day to this. The miller heard the shrieks, although his head was hidden under the blankets. Alack, alack, he moaned. Why did I ever give him the key, for it's clear the brownie have killed him. When Ranald had finished his supper, he ground the rest of the corn, put the meal into the bag, put the bag on the sled, yoked the horse and locked the door. The key he carried to the miller's house, but when he had knocked there was no answer. He knocked again and this time he heard a small faint voice muffled by blankets, asking who was there. "'Tis I. Here's the key of the mill," he replied. "'If thou wilt open the door, I'll give it to thee.' The poor miller thought it was the brownie who was at the back of the door. Oh, be off, be off, he entreated. Take the key and thou wilt but spare my dwelling. Ranald laughed a hearty laugh. Tis I, he said, and not the brownie, and here's thy key. And he pushed it under the door. The miller jumped up in amazement. Thou, he cried in astonishment. Dost mean to tell me thou art still alive after spending a night in the mill of Lecken? Aye, I am, answered Ranald. And so wilt thou be if thou hast a mind to try it, for I have made the thing that dwells there run away, and I promise thee it will never trouble thee again. Meanwhile, at the farm, the farmer was anxiously waiting to see whether his third plot had been successful or not. He had stationed men on all hilltops to keep a lookout, and... Give him a timely warning should they see Ranald returning. 
Great was his dismay and disappointment when one of them came running down to say he saw Ranald in the distance with the sled and the bag of meal. He'll be here in less than an hour, he gasped, for he was breathless with running. And then I wot not what will become of us all, for he cannot be so blind as not to see that we are doing our best to destroy him. Troth, we will not wait until he comes, said the farmer, whose evil conscience made him a coward. And so it came about that when honest, good-hearted Ranald came back with the meal, instead of finding a group of hungry folk waiting for him, as he had expected, he found the farm deserted, and every soul belonging to it fled. "'Tis none of my doing,' he said to himself, "'for I would have served my master faithfully "'if he had been content to give me enough to eat. "'However, I need not grumble, "'for here is a well-stocked farm ready for my hand, "'and I'll e'en bring my old mother here, "'and we will live peacefully together.' "'So back he went to the hut by the forest "'and told his mother all that had befallen him "'and how he had gained possession of a well-stocked farm.' and how she must needs come and keep his house. But his mother was growing old, and the thought of the long miles she would have to go frightened her. I am old and frail, my son, she said. Journeys such as these are for young hearts and young limbs. Then the big lad stooped down and put his arm tenderly round her. Thou nursed me for one and twenty years, he said. "'Tis my turn now to repay thee.' And without more ado, he lifted her on his back and carried her safely to the farm. And there they lived in ease and plenty. And if they be not dead, they are still living there, for all I know. Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page, which you can find in the show notes if you'd like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.